This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Strangers from distant lands, friends of old, you've been summoned here to answer the threat of Mordor. Middle-earth stands upon the brink of destruction. None can escape it. You will unite or you will fall. Each race is bound to this fate, this one doom. Bring forth the ring, Frodo. Only one choice. The ring must be destroyed. And what are we waiting for? The ring cannot be destroyed, Gimli, son of Gloin, by any craft we here possess. The ring was made in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade. It must be taken deep into Mordor and cast back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? 
The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. No one trusts an elf. I will take the ring to Mordor. No. I do not know the way. I will help you bear this burden, Frodo Baggins. As long as it is yours to bear. By my life or death. my sword and you have my bow and my axe the clip is simply to bring to your mind and mine the responder that Frodo would have, of course, in this fairy tale fantasy, but nevertheless, that point in the movie, that point in the story, is when everything is now shaped for the entire future of him and everyone around him and the nation and, and, and. But it's at that moment. I want to talk with you in our series on following about this one important aspect of following. We've talked about admirers and inquirers, and I think I've framed things in pretty well for you to find yourself so far. And now we're talking about the word responder, a responder. A responder is the person that steps up at the right time, at the right time, and says, I will. Here's our definition of responder. You didn't get it down, take it down now the definition of what it means to be a responder, and that you are actually saying at the right time, what more does God want to do in my life? What more would I have to step up to? A responder makes a decision that actually becomes a pivotal point of no return. A pivotal point of something that will happen from that point on that would not happen if there was no response. A responder in Scripture is just like a Frodo who at the right moment says, I will, I will, I will step up and I will do that. 
I will respond to this. I am the person for this. I'm going to do it. Responding, what the Holy Spirit wants you to become, is a positive attitude that asks this question. Remember, we've asked different questions with admire and acquires, but now the responder asks a very important question. What more does God want of me? Now, I'm sure if you've read the novel or watched a movie, he had no idea, no idea whatsoever what would be required of him because of the response. He could not see everything that was in his path or what he would suffer or how long it would take or what was at stake. He responded at that level at what he could see, what he felt, he stepped into it. When you respond, you don't always know what you're responding to in depth. You respond in faith at that point to the level that you understand, you respond. It's like getting married. When you get married and you date and you court and you finally marry and you say the vows and I will and I'll follow you and you know, you're mine and I'm yours and we make covenant and, but you have no idea really, even though you have marriage counseling or you watch other people in marriage, you really don't have a clue what marriage will really require of you. It's words that have value, but it's the experience that gives value to the words. And so as you begin to walk out the marriage, the response to be married is the opening of a door to actually experience a depth of relationship that has the challenges, some pain, some surprises, some work that you didn't even know you'd have to do, etc. So it is when it comes to following Christ. When you begin to follow Christ, there comes a point, and I would like to acknowledge this, that the point is a repeat thing that happens. There's not just one super response, one time, where you say, all right, all I am is yours. It's not a one-time thing. There's levels. Every time you come to a certain place, there's this responding to God. What more does God want of me? At the point that you stop, at that point where you say to God, no more. Not giving you any more of my life. That's it. I draw the line. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, I draw the line. No more. I'm not giving any more. You're not taking any more. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm going to live just like this. Don't bug me about it anymore. Don't talk to me about it anymore. This is far as I'm going, and I am not going any further. At that point, something dies in your life. Something dies in your journey. And you begin to miss the real purpose of what it means to say, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you require of me, I'm stepping up. I will say yes. People on the journey, there's four groups that stand out to me. In the Gospels, multitudes, the many, the some, and the few. And as it narrows down, as you follow the Gospel story, it narrows itself down. 
The Bible's filled with scriptures about the multitudes, the multitudes, the crowds. Go through it yourself. There's lots of scriptures about it. And there are a lot of people admiring Jesus and receiving from Jesus a lot of stuff. But then there's the inquirers. There's many of them in the Bible. From the rich young ruler to the different Pharisees to the different people in the villages, there were a lot of people that inquired about Jesus. There were many of them. When it comes to responding, there were some. Some actually asked the question. They actually took the step, and they responded at first level. Jesus, are you the Christ? I am. Jesus says, will you follow me? I will. What does that mean for me? I'll tell you more, but that means, first of all, I'm going to make you something different than what you are, and that means you're going to have to, and he starts explaining some, but they have no idea. They have no idea that when they stepped over the first line, no idea that if Jesus would have said to them, I want you to follow me because I want you to become a martyr, you're going to give your life for me. You're going to be boiled in oil. You're going to be beheaded. You're going to be hung upside down. You're going to be beat. You're going to be eaten by lions. You're going into the arena. Will you follow me? I'm not sure the answer would have been yes at that moment. There was no talk about martyring. There was no talk about what would happen to their life. There was no talk about all that would be required of them on the journey. He took them to the first level. Will you respond at this level? Few of them became followers. Are you in the multitudes? Are you the many? Are you the some? Are you the few? Responders, response. What more does God want of me? That's all I want you to answer. Well, really, that's all I want you to ask. Because that answer is different for every single person listening to my voice. Every person. For some, it will be, what more does God want of me? He wants my soul, wants my heart, wants me to become a believer. Wants me to say the sinner's prayer, yield my life to the cross, and give up all my past and follow Jesus. That's right. That is what he is asking you. Will you do that? Will you step over the line? How long will it take? How many sermons will you hear? How many years will you go about it? How many times will you hit the wall? How many excuses will you make? At some point, you have to step over the line and say, I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, repent of my sin, turn my life around, and I'm going to go after Jesus. That would be the answer for you if you're at that point. What more does God want of me? But if you're past that point, You've actually done a salvation prayer at some point or yielded your life to Christ. And maybe there's something that's actually hanging on to your life and God is saying, will you give that piece up? And you're saying, well, what more do you want? What, what more would you ask of me, Lord? What, what else would you like me to do to be more than an admirer? Well, I would like maybe for you to... And then he starts going Deeper. Going deeper. Ezekiel 47, verse 3 through 5, is the 
prophetic word by Ezekiel, but it's a picture that so fits with what I'm saying. Ezekiel 47, 3 through 5. It's a vision of a person coming to a river. Now, the vision is given to Ezekiel about the people of Israel because this is what they were going to do. In symbolic form, they needed to move on and go deeper. And so he sees this vision, and he sees this man going into the water. And at first, he's just up to his ankles. He says, well, that's as far as I want to go. He says, no, you've got, got to move a little bit more. I want you to go out. And so it says, then he came to his knees. Then they had to coax him. You've got to go further. Then he came to his waist. But of course, he can still fill the ground. You know how it is when you swim in a river. You want to fill the ground as you go. It's not like swimming in a swimming pool. And so now he's up to his waist. And then comes the push. He says, now go further. He says, no. If I go further, I won't be able to touch ground. I, I cannot stabilize myself. What do you want me to do? And the vision says there's waters to swim in. You have to let go. You've got to now swim through the waters. You can't just stay ankle deep, knee and waist. You've got to let go. And you've got to go into the waters. And so the vision goes with this person moving all the way into the waters. Waters to swim in. Which means they've allowed themselves to not be in control of everything in their life. They've allowed themselves to actually be in an uncomfortable zone. They've allowed themselves to go in deeper. And so it is with so many Christians. You know, there's the ankle deep, the knee, the waist, and waters to swim in. What level will you be happy with your whole life? What level? Ankle deep could be, I love Jesus. He's great. He doesn't bother me, and I don't bother him, but I'm not going to hell. That's a level. Are you knee deep? Well, you know what? I, I pray once in a while. I read my Bible. Uh, I never share Christ with anybody. I, I really don't go serious about a lot of stuff in the spiritual realm. But you know what? I do understand some of the scriptures. I'm happy to live my life. And really, I'm filled and satisfied with a lot of things, not necessarily that are found just in Jesus, but I enjoy life. No one's going to condemn you for it, but that's kind of the knee deep. What about the wasting? And as you keep going through, you find people at every level, at every level. It's amazing that Christianity during your lifetime, my lifetime, has shifted again for like the third or fourth time in the world. That is the epic center for Christianity began in Israel, but it soon moved over to Europe, and then it moved to America. Every one of those came out of a crisis. But it's amazing to me right now, right now, history is being made in the last couple decades, and now it's, it's pretty much a confirmed fact. Christianity is no longer from USA. We're not the core. We're not the force. We're not the numbers. We're not the moving church of the world. We're not the growing church of the world. We're not the most salvation church of the world. It's now moved to South America and Africa. So those two continents now have totally, totally taken over in every account of Christianity, from prayer to miracles to church growth to missionary sending, and America is stagnant. America maybe is more than stagnant. It might be in decline. 
when there's all kinds of prophets and writers and theologians and philosophers and historians that will paint a picture about America. Now you can choose whatever one you want to listen to because there's so many different ones and they all kind of draw from the same facts, but most of them will conclude there's something wrong in America, something wrong. 400,000 churches, not 400,000 church influence. Not salt, not light. Our culture is, is the worst ever. Our morals, the worst ever. Our politics is the worst ever. Our cities are the worst ever. Our, our family life, our brokenness in the families, our single life. If you start going through the educational worldviews and everything else, you'd have to say, America's got some serious problems. There's something going on underneath that seems to be corroding, eroding Christianity from the roots. Now, if you would bring up a few of what I think are the best thinkers, it's an opinion. Chuck Colson, John Piper, some of those kind of writers, thinkers, hard hitters, they would say, bottom line, people go to church, but they do not know Christ. Bottom line, simple. They go to church, but they do not live like a disciple. They go to church, but they are no different than a person who doesn't go to church. And so the people who don't go to church look at the people who do go to church, and they simply say, if that's the difference, there is no difference, I will choose something else to follow. Could it be, in all the complexity of our problems, the simplicity of the answer is simply to get more people to live like Jesus? It's real simple. More people that actually really know Jesus. More people that actually respond to Jesus. More people that do it on a daily basis. Well, we're talking about the reality of our own congregation, City Bible Church, the church I pastor as a lead pastor with all the other pastors, we're not that far different than any other church in the USA or Canada. We have all levels of people. We have all levels of Christianity. We might do a little better in some areas, but I don't know if we're that much different than the American church. Why? Because... We're not reproducing disciples. We're not evangelizing the metro area. We're happy to not see anyone saved in our lifetime, in our circle of influence. We're happy to never see another person call on the name of Jesus year after year of our life. We're happy with that. We shrug it off. Not my responsibility. If we do, we invite them to church. That's as far as we go. I'm talking about the core issue. The core issue is this. If you move from an admirer to an inquirer, you have your affections. I admire him. Your inquiry, I believe and I trust. I've studied and he is the Christ. And then you move to a responder where you say, okay, whatever you want to do in my life, Lord, I'm going to move to another level. Now remember, if you keep moving to different levels in Jesus, one of those levels has to be a disciple, which I don't think the American church 
by and large, has ever hit on. Not in the last 50 to 100 years. We are not disciples. We are churchgoers. Total difference. Total difference. Jesus never called us to attend church. He called us to bear crosses. And so the discipleship message is so down there somewhere that if you start responding, then there's going to come some serious cross life that comes into your personal life that should result in you becoming a follower of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus is a very defined kind of person. There's no complexity about that. No confusion whatsoever. And if you become a follower, you will become a reproducer of disciples. And if you never reproduce another person as a disciple, you are not even classified as a follower. You're a responder, but you haven't responded deep enough to even win a person to Christ. Not only win a person to Christ, but reproduce in them the life of Christ in such a way that they become the product of Christ and the reproduction of Christ. Every movement in the world today, in South America, I've been there. Every movement in Africa, all the churches that are growing by thousands is not by program and it's not by buildings and it's not by budgets, it is not by money. Most of them do not have any of the things I just said. What they do have are people that reproduce disciples. They win people to Jesus, they disciple that person, they teach them how to live like Jesus, they keep reproducing, they have 12, 24, and it starts going 48. Before you know it, everyone is a reproducing disciple. Now, if we're guilty, which we are, I am, you are. The only way to change this is to respond. Now, my whole series has been to bring you along with me to think because this is not just a series for me. It's a pivotal prophetic moment for City Bible Church. Whether we get it or we don't get it. It's not an evangelism program. Okay, we're all going to go door to door. We're all, it's not a program. They don't work. They don't work. I can put bus posters up and a few billboards and I mean, it might help some, but that's not the answer. The answer is, when will you win someone to Jesus? Simple. At what point? You've been a Christian how long? How many people do you even talk with about Jesus? Religion makes us an institution. Christianity makes us a lifestyle. Too much religion hardens our arteries, blinds the eyes. People with the Bible under their arm going into buildings and out of buildings for their whole life. 
never reproducing, church not growing, no impact on the community, not touching anyone's life outside of the families that's there. And as soon as those families get old enough and they don't reproduce, and you have that in the church after 10, 20, 30 years, just like City Bible Church, at some point there's hardly anybody to be one to the Lord because all the families are now in, the kids and the grandkids, and the kids and the grandkids are not reproducing because they were never taught to reproduce. The church then begins to die. Age and die. And at some point, you look around and the young people say, not very many young people here, I think go somewhere else. Not very many young couples, I think I'll go somewhere else. Or, you know, I don't even think Christianity impacts my life that much. It was good for my parents and I know they love the church, but I don't have the same feel about the church or about Christianity. What is happening there? What is happening there is the core of the excitement of Christianity is touching people's lives, winning people to Christ, baptizing them in water, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, breaking the junk off their life, weeping with them, bearing burdens, going through the stuff, living for someone else. When that happens in the very heart of a church, everything begins to change. Everything begins to change. Are you all right? You're pretty quiet this morning. Does anybody feel like this message might be for you? Anybody feel and understand, I might be right? Anybody feel and would like to respond and say, let's make a change? Because that is the only way this will work. I can make a change, but you. Working with a couple new converts, wow. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort to help someone change. Why the church doesn't do it? It's too hard. Why our lifestyles don't fit it? We don't want them at our house or spend the hour with them or meet them too early or too late or we've got volleyball and basketball and, and school and, and work stuff and we're tired when we get home. We can't fit a needy person into our life. There's something wrong with that. A church our size and a church with our heart we should easily know and understand that Jesus wants us to fit people into our life. Not just be a small group leader. That can be religious too. That you just gather your friends in your small group and pastor them for the rest of your life. I'm not talking about that kind of small group. Talking about you gathering unbelievers, unchurched, hurting people, those that marriage has fallen apart or kids are falling apart or they just don't know Christ and they just want to start by knowing what the Bible says. It's gathering them. That's more work than just pastoring each other. We spend all of our time pastoring those who don't need pastoring. Jesus could pastor them, help them through it. They don't need you. Maybe it's my bike riding that's getting to me. 
Here's some responders, and this is simply what I want you to do. All right? Seven model responders that all responded kind of the same way. And this is where it starts. One, Moses. His response is, here I am. Simple. Here I am. Moses said, I will now turn inside. I want you to notice the wording. You won't have time to turn with me in the Bible, but the word in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 3, Exodus 3, 3, it says, when God saw that he would turn aside, God spoke to him. And in Moses' heart, it says in the Bible, Moses said in his heart, I think I will turn aside and see what this burning bush is all about. Change directions, stop, pause, reach, inquire, embrace. I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to find out about this burning bush. The very first step to responding is turn aside. Stop what you've normally been doing. Turn aside. Embrace God. Embrace the bush. Embrace the fire. Embrace it and then just simply say, if you dare, if you dare to say it. Here I am. Here I am. I wasn't ready when I said those words. I had no idea that God would take me up on, here am I, and God says, well, here am I too, and the two of us are going to do some changing, Frank. I got where you're at, so here we go. Would you say out loud, just try it, just say out loud, here I am. One more time. That is an invitation to God saying, whatever it takes, however deep you have to go, however much it hurts, here I am. Here I am. It's like showing up for Hell Week in football. You gear up, you have no idea what Hell Week's going to be like. That's what we used to call it when I was in high school. Now they call it different things, but it was hell, and it was hell week, and it was twice a day, daily doubles, in the summer sun with all the football stuff on, and the coach would say, always, at least my coach did, as we started these practices, he would say, you now belong to me. Your mom can't help you. Your father can't help you. God can't help you. You now belong to me. And if you don't like that, step out of line and go back into the gym because I'm going to do everything with you I want to do. You belong to me. That was the speech. That's how we started every day, twice a day. And you know what? I had a fear about my coach. It wasn't just kind of, oh, fun. When I looked at him and watched the way he screamed at people and what he did, I was thinking, this is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living coach. (laughs) This guy is serious about making us run till we puke our guts out, which I did, making us get up and calling us all kinds of names that, you know, I, just names. What was that? A response to say, okay, here I am. Do with me whatever you want to do. Wow, that's a response. Here's another one. Samuel, in 1 Samuel 3.10, 
Lord came to him, Samuel, Samuel, and this is his response. His response is, speak, I'm listening. Wow, what a great response. Speak, I'm listening. God's voice only for missionaries, full-time ministers, and the radical committed people. No, it's for everybody. And if you get to the place where you would just say, talk to me, I'm listening. I guarantee you, God will talk to you. Right here. He'll talk to you. He'll say some things that will rock your world. If you're listening, the response is, speak. Here's another one, Isaiah 6, verse 7 and 8. What a great response. He touched my mouth, touched my life, brought the coal from the altar. And then it's Isaiah who says, here I am, send me. I'm available. I'm available. Send me. Do what you want. I'm available. Are you available? Are you listening? Are you there? Are you open? Are you doing the Frodo thing, just stepping up and say, I'm not just messing around. I will take the ring all the way. No one else but that little hobbit. And the whole book is written around really the humility of the hobbit in contrast to everyone else around him. It's in that littleness that God made such a great thing. God can use you if you would just say, I'm available. Here's another one. Luke 1.38. Mary, what a great response to a ludicrous thing. Mary in Luke 1.38, yes, I am servant of the Lord. And she simply says, let this happen to me. Let it, let it be according to your word. Lord, let it happen to me. I'm ready. Let it happen. I, I don't understand it. She most certainly did not understand it. But her response is, let it happen. Let it happen. Work deep in my life. Lord, let it happen. I know I don't understand how, when, I, I, it's beyond my reasoning what you just said to me, but be it to me according to your word. Let it happen. Come on, say it out loud. Let it happen. A little louder. Let it happen. You know, these responses will set you apart. Here's another one. Acts 9 verse 10. Ananias. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said, the Lord said, Ananias, and he said, here I am. Use me however you want. Lord says, okay, you're going to go see a guy named Saul, and he's got a bad reputation, and your life will be on the line, but he had already committed. Use me however you want. Here's another one, Acts chapter 9. When the Lord finally appears to Saul, who becomes Paul, his response is exactly what made his whole life. Lord, what do you want me to do? What is it? As he's lying on the ground, blinded by the glory of God, his whole life comes to an end. He had enough wisdom to say, what do you want me to do? What is it? God says, well, first level, your response. 
go to a street called Straight. You're going to meet a man named Ananias, and he will tell you what the next step is. That's usually the way God does it. God uses people to help us move from step to step. The last one, number seven, is potential disciples. Now, I want you to notice this phrase. If, if anyone, if, if anyone. The potential disciple starts with an if, and I'm throwing that out into your lap and heart. In Luke 9, 23, 24, he said to them, all, but all don't respond. Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires, well, that's where we all start. If we're not sure, anyone, we're part of the group, desires, we have something saying, go this direction, there's some desire, but Jesus simply goes right to the root. He says, if, maybe, possibly, if you do, Bands to the platform right now would help. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's the root. Selfishness. Simple. We just love ourselves more than Jesus. Take up his cross. We don't want to let things in us die that should die. We want to hold on to them. Why? Because there's some pleasure in it. There's some identity in it. There's room for me to move. I like that thing. Come on, Jesus. Take up your cross. Then, then comes the words, follow. Follow me. At that point. They've moved to the point of response. Follow me. Okay. Bow your head. Let's just talk to Jesus for a moment here. I'm not looking for mighty altar calls. I'm looking for altered lives, changed people. I'm looking as deeply as I can into the very core of your being, the very anchor, the will within the will, where decisions really start. I want you to reach down to that level. Say, Jesus, here I am. I really, really need to become more than an admirer, an acquirer, and today a responder. I'm saying, whatever it takes. You want to save your life? You want to save your family? You want to save your destiny? You want to be fruitful? You want to live for something beyond yourself? Leave a legacy beyond yourself? Your response right now might be the key for 50 more people in your lifetime that you will lead to Christ and disciple and bring them out of a humongous amount of problems because you were in the right place to do it because of this moment right here that you would say, yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. I'm in. I'm in. I want you more than anything else. I'm giving you permission to go deeper. 
I'm asking the question and I want it to be fulfilled in my life. What more does God want to do in me? And I'm saying, Lord, do everything. Lord, do everything. Cut deep. Prune away. Turn my heart. Give me deeper desires. Jesus, I don't want to be an American disciple. I want to be a Bible disciple. I want to be a Bible disciple. I want to be a Bible disciple.